People have different ideas about who Jesus is. Almost everyone agrees there was a religious teacher named Jesus who lived in the Middle East just over 2,000 years ago. The question, the question is, who exactly, exactly was he? From time to time, often around Easter, you'll see documentaries on the History Channel, the you know, National Geographic or some other channel exploring that question. Who exactly was Jesus? Some see him as a philosopher, a prophet, a moral teacher. Even followers of other religions sometimes see Jesus as a prophet, one whose teachings are admirable. Some see him as a rebel, a revolutionary. And some will remember, some of you will remember the Sandinistas overthrowing the Nicaraguan dictator in the late 1970s. The Sandinistas, like some other Latin American groups, specifically identified themselves as following the example of Jesus, the liberator. Scholars often question, who is or who was Jesus? From time to time, scholars get together and determine they can decide which words and stories attributed to Jesus in the Bible are genuine and which they say were made up by his early followers. Of course, his followers, Jesus' followers, call him Master and Savior, and they believe what the Bible says about him. In short, lots of people, for lots of reasons, ask, who is, who is Jesus? The question, who is Jesus, is not new. Lots of people, even in the Bible, struggled to figure out who Jesus is. Did you know that Jesus had family members who didn't understand him? Twice, the Bible says his immediate family had a hard time embracing that he was who he said he is. Jesus didn't behave quite like his cousin John the Baptist thought the Messiah should behave. So John once asked Jesus, are you really the one who is to come or shall we, shall we look for another? If you've joined us before on TV Church, you might remember that we are walking through the book of John from the beginning of Jesus' walk on earth to his death and resurrection. Today we come to chapters 7 and 8, where people are trying to figure out who Jesus is. We don't have time to read both those rather lengthy chapters, but, but it's an accurate summary to say that those chapters say, they, they, those chapters describe a time when people of Jesus' day were trying to figure out exactly who He is. Here are, here are some examples. In John 7, 27, people wonder if He's the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer the, the people of Israel had been waiting for. And it says, we know where Jesus is from, but when the Messiah comes, no one will know where He is from. See their quandary? And in verse 31, people see some indications that Jesus is the Messiah and say, when He, the Messiah, comes, will He perform more signs than this man? In John 7, verse 45, the confused temple guards say, no one ever spoke the way this man does. In verse 48, people wonder if Jesus is is demon-possessed. In chapter 8, verse 25, we see the summary of the two chapters here. The question, who are you? Who are you? They asked. 
So, who is Jesus? Well, today's text doesn't fully answer the question. There is a hint, and we're going to get to that in a moment. In these two chapters, these two chapters we're covering today, we simply find people arguing about who Jesus really is. But we don't have to look much farther in the story to see the answer. To eyes, to eyes that could not see, Jesus said, open up, and they did. To ears that could not hear, Jesus said, listen up, and they did. To a mouth that could not speak, Jesus said, speak up, and it did. To a hand that was gnarled with disease, Jesus said, straighten up, and it did. To skin that was rotten with leprosy, Jesus said, clear up, and it did. To a fishing net that had no fish, Jesus said, fill up, and it did. To the crowd of over 5,000 with no more among them, no more between them to eat than a, a two-piece fish dinner, Jesus said, eat up. And they did. And when they had all finished eating, Jesus said to his disciples, clean up. And they did. And they, they recovered 12 buckets full of leftovers. To a crippled man who had been lowered through the roof on a stretcher, Jesus said, stand up. And he did. To Lazarus, who'd been dead for days and whose entombed body had begun to, to stink, Jesus cried, rise up. And he did. To howling winds on the Sea of Galilee that tossed the disciples' boat and threatened their lives, Jesus stepped out on the bow and, and he commanded, hush up. And the winds did. Those dumbfounded disciples, those apoplectic apostles in the boat asked, Who can this be that even the winds and the seas obey Him? The book of Isaiah answered that question seven centuries earlier when it described Him. He is mighty God. Matthew 1 answers, He is Emmanuel, God with us. Titus 2 answers, He is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John 5 answers, Jesus is the true God. Of course, lots of folks can't accept that Jesus is God in the flesh. It's popular, at, at least in the Western world, to view Jesus as a terrific teacher, a, a superb sage, and a first-class philosopher, but not God. Actually, the Bible says that's not an option. I and the Father are one, Jesus said. Jesus declared Himself to be God. Think about that. If someone were to declare He is God today, we would declare, this guy's crazy. That's why it's been said famously that, that either Jesus was God as He claimed to be, or He was a lunatic. No great moral leader would claim to be God unless He, unless he really is. Remember I said a few minutes ago that we see a hint of who Jesus is in today's text? Well, here's the hint in John 7, verses 23 and 24. Jesus continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am He, you will indeed die in your sins. 
Notice how important it is to believe that Jesus is who He said He is. And notice the reference between the, the reference to the gap between heaven and earth and, and how Jesus has crossed that gap, has stepped across that great divide. That's a bit confusing. Maybe this will help. Today has been a walk down memory lane for me. This is a fishing pier on Weiss Lake near Center, Alabama. It's near the beautiful Alabama Bell Resort and the Coward Creek Campground and, and Fish Camp. When I was a kid, though, it was, all this wasn't here. When I was a kid, my dad used to bring me here, sometimes just the two of us, and sometimes we'd come with boys from our church. I remember fishing out there on that bridge pier all night by the light of a Coleman lantern, and then right about where I'm standing, frying the fish we'd caught on a Coleman stove. My, my, what a great dad I had, and what great memories I enjoy. Here, I got the nickname Tadpole. A lady working in a, in a bait shop that used to be right over there saw me as a little kid tagging along behind the teenage boys from church, and, and she nicknamed me Tadpole. My dad called this fishing pier over my shoulder Dead End Bridge. It is, as, his, as, as Daddy's name for it implies, a bridge that reaches only part of the way out across the water. There's a reason for that. Sixty years ago, this was, there was just a creek here. Then the area was flooded to form Weiss Lake. Today, this bridge is a great, is a great place for fishing, but it's, it's inadequate as far as crossing the water is concerned. It can get you only so far. I'm out here on the bridge now. You can get an idea, of course, what the other side looks like, but you, you just can't get there from here, not by this bridge. In the same way, there's this great chasm between, between us as sinful humans and our holy creator. There have been a number of, of attempts to, to bridge that chasm. Those efforts include, you know, attempts to, to be good enough to reach God and, and lots of religious ideas. But I believe all those, all those human attempts at bridging that chasm are just dead-end bridges. That difference between us and God, that absence of a relationship, is a problem we can't fix. It's a, it's a ravine that we just cannot cross. The Bible speaks of that chasm. Isaiah 59, 2 reads, Your sins have separated you from God. In the parable that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus spoke these words, A great chasm has been set in place. But here's the good news. 2 Corinthians 5.19 reads, God was in Christ reconciling us to Himself. Do you know the root of that word reconcile? Of course, re means again. The second part of that word, concile, comes from the Latin conciliare, which means to unite. To reconcile is to reunite. Have you heard or do you remember that time in the Bible described when there was, a, there was no separation between God and humans? The Bible calls that Eden. 
The ways of God and the ways of humans were in sync, the same. But then humans messed things up, disobeyed God, broke the relationship, and caused a, a rift between us and our loving Creator. Much like that gap between this bridge and the other side. But the good news is that while we were still separated from God by our sins, God took that step this direction toward us. While the best we had was a, a dead-end bridge, God came down to earth in Jesus to offer us a restored relationship with Him. A union, a union that includes life at its best and life that never ends. A restored relationship that, that in, involves us joining Him in His world, this world, to make things right between all of us. God and Jesus crossed the great divide to rescue us. And the response that saves us is the, the response of faith to trust ourselves to Jesus, not our own goodness. I'll talk, I'll talk just a little bit more about that in a few minutes. When Jesus and his friends gathered one day in Caesarea Philippi, those who followed Jesus were a small band of folks on the margins of the Jewish faith. They were still a, a fringe religious group. Jesus looked around at his close followers and asked them, Who do people say, who do people out there say I am? His friends gave him some answers. Then Jesus asked the more crucial and penetrating question, Who do you say I am? That's the, the important question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Someone is standing at a pivotal point of your life, a crossroads, a defining moment, a, a point where, where you can decide who Jesus is for you. What you decide to do about Jesus is the most pressing question of your life. That, that decision will impact the kind of life you live here and, and will determine your eternal destination. We either have to believe Him or, or dismiss Him, to accept Him or, or reject Him, to invite Him in or write Him off. You can't just like Him or admire Him, and you cannot wash your hands of Him. So who do you say He is? A teacher, philosopher, moral leader, or God in the flesh, stepping across the great divide between heaven and earth for you. Who is Jesus to you?